Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings and chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 to 16. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward you make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Let's pray. Lord, again we plead with you for light to shine upon our dark minds and hearts and to enlighten us, that we may know and understand you and your ways and your workings, and your glory and majesty and power as you display it against false gods and show your own glory for your own name's sake. Lord, exalt Christ then once again before us, we pray. We ask it for his sake. Amen. Stephen Charnock, one of the Puritans, said, God is the world's sovereign but he is also a good man's father. And I would suggest that both those things are true 
and reflected in this passage this evening. We will see that God is the world's sovereign, but he is also Elijah's father. And Elijah is first and foremost a good man. Here is the Lord in his wise and powerful providence, embracing his faithful servant Elijah in a day of fearful apostasy and faithlessness during the early reign of Ahab. I remind you that Ahab, verse 30 of the previous chapter, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He was the one who established Baal worship in Samaria. And Elijah had pronounced this dramatic word that there would be neither dew nor rain these years except at my word. And of course he did not speak in his own name. He came in the name of the Lord God of Israel and began with an oath as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall be due, not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. That was a word of judgment against Ahab, against Jezebel, who was, of course, first and foremost, a devotee of Baal. And also Baal himself. We say himself, but he was but a figment of imagination. He was real in the minds of Ahab and of Jezebel, but he is no God at all. And God comes and proclaims, as it were, a holy war against faithless king and false gods and idols. It's quite clear Ahab and Jezebel get the message. They understand exactly what Elijah is saying. We read in chapter 18 and verse 4 that Jezebel massacres some of the prophets in, of the Lord in Samaria. And we read in 18.10, almost incidentally, we read a report that Ahab had placed a price on Elijah's head and had sent out an international search party, or at least a search warrant, in order to have this man taken and presumably put to death. However, until the appointed day when God decides it will rain once again in the land of Palestine, until that day, Elijah disappears off Ahab's radar screen. It's a period certainly approaching three years. He comes again, we read in 18.1, in the third year of Ahab. But Elijah is special. He is God's chosen servant. He is a prophet and his ministry is unique and God provides special protection and special provision in remarkable and unusual ways. And it is seen in two commandments. The first is in verse 4 where God says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And the second is in verse 9. I have commanded a widow there, Zarephath, to provide for you. I want this evening to look at, first of all, the means God uses in order 
to protect and provide for Elijah and then look at the reasons why God works in this way and see what we can learn of God's ways himself and the profit that that will be then to us. So, first of all, how? What means does God use to protect and provide for his servant Elijah? First of all, we have this command to the ravens given in verses 3 and 4. Let's read it in its entirety from verse 2. The word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Having pronounced this curse upon Ahab and Baal, he now receives a commandment from the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to him. Get away. Go east. Hide by the brook Cherith. There you will be particularly, specially provided for by ravens. Now that is unusual, isn't it? That is remarkable. Ravens are eaters of carrion. That is dead meat. They were unclean birds. To a Jew, a raven was an unclean bird because it would deal, it would handle dead bodies, dead meat. I wonder if Elijah had any scruples like Peter in Acts chapter 10. Things that were unclean, you remember how he was troubled by that? Well, apparently not. One commentator says, well, when he got his daily ration of meat, he just cooked it very, very well and didn't ask any more questions. Well, whether that's the case or not, I don't know. But God provided ravens to supply him on a daily twice daily basis, morning and evening. The ravens, verse 6, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. How long did he stay there by the brook Cherith? We're not told precisely, but until the effects of the drought were felt in Cherith and the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Imagine that. Every single day, morning and evening, regular as clockwork, Elijah's eye would look up, here come the ravens, carrying bread and meat for him. He didn't even have to go out and collect it, they actually brought it. Remember when Israel was provided with the quail and the manna in the wilderness? But they had to go out at least and collect it. Elijah just seemingly, all he needed to do was to sit there. And the ravens came and brought it to him as he hid there by the brook Cherith. Now God works in the animal kingdom in remarkable ways. He grows grass for the cattle, we read in Psalm 104. The lions roar after their prey. They seek their food from God. But he can take any of his creatures whom he feeds and whom he sustains, and he can use them to feed and sustain one of his own chosen servants, Elijah. He takes unclean birds, he takes carrion eaters, 
and they bring bread and water twice a day for however long he stays at the brook. We smile at God's strange but kind provision for his servant. He is indeed a good man's father. He's taking care of Elijah. We recall our, our Lord's own words. Look at the birds of the air, he said. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet how your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Elijah, you're of more value than sparrows and ravens, but here is a Father in heaven who provides ravens who bring him bread and meat. Again, on another occasion, our Lord said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. Are these not words that apply to Elijah? They apply to us. God is in control. He feeds the birds of the air. But he's also able to take those same birds and use them in a miraculous way to provide for his servant. Ahab and Jezebel in Samaria are proclaiming that Baal is the God who supplies all your needs. He's the God of fertility. The brook dries up. What is going to happen now to God's servant? They are saying that Baal is God. Well, where is he? But we know better. We have a different testimony. Here it is in Scripture. Here is the living God who made the heavens and the earth, who speaks to Elijah, gives him a command, and then sends ravens at his command to supply his daily physical needs. Here is God's powerful, wise, fatherly love and care and providence. But then there's a second command, isn't there? We've seen in verse 9. The command that God gives to the widow. Once the brook dries up, because there's been no rain in the land, Elijah is now receiving a second word from the Lord. Verse 8. Arise, go to Zarephath, verse 9, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now it's quite clear that Elijah's life is threatened, not simply by Ahab and by Jezebel, but also by the effects of the curse that he has pronounced on the land. It's not going to rain. There's not going to be any dew. There's not going to be any crops. That's going to affect Elijah. And when the brook runs dry, he receives another command. I've already made provision for you. I've been thinking ahead. I've been planning ahead. I have commanded a widow to provide for you. And if you thought that ravens was an unusual way of sustaining the life of God's servant, this is even more remarkable. It's quite staggering. Elijah is to leave Cherith and go to the heartland of Baal. It's in Sidon. That's where Jezebel comes from. That's where F. Baal, her father, lives. Baal is alive. And God's servant is sent to Baal heartland. And there, where the famine has also struck, he is going to be provided for by a widow. 
A widow whom God has commanded to provide for him. She is a heathen, Sidonian widow. Now, widows are usually people that you go to visit because they are in need. You go to relieve them of their need. True religion, remember, and undefiled in the sight of God includes visiting orphans and widows in their trouble, James 1 and verse 27. But here Elijah comes to the city gates of Zarephath after a long journey of 80 miles. And there is a widow picking up a couple of sticks. She's thin. She looks weary and tired. She stoops lowly and not easily to the ground in order to pick up the few sticks that she needs for the fire. And she tells him, I and my son are about to eat our last meal and then we expect to die. Sidon, you see, is feeling the full force of God's curse. Baal is under judgment in Sidon as well as in Samaria. And Elijah comes and he asks her, this widow, for water and a morsel of bread, it seems a heartless request, had not God commanded him, had not God sent him. I mean, who were the people who would have had food inside him? Well, presumably people with money. Because when you get a famine, prices shoot up high and you get black markets and things like that. Well, the royal, the royal household would certainly not be lacking in food. But Elijah could hardly go there, could he, to F. Baal's palace. Ahab would have sent his spies out there too. And the Lord sends Elijah to the house of a widow. How on earth is she going to provide for him? Now we'll look again at this passage later on another sermon and see God's provision for the widow and see what happens subsequently in verses 17 to 24. But for this evening I want to focus upon God's provision and protection of Elijah. In verses 13 and 14, Elijah speaks again as God's servant. He tells her to go and make a cake for him, first of all, for her and then for her son. Now she's only got a couple of sticks and food for herself and for her son. That's all she's got left. And here's Elijah saying, me first. <laughs> me first and then you afterwards. But he's not being selfish. He has a reason for saying this. He comforts her. This woman will be frightened. She realises he's an unusual person. She says to him in verse 12, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, a little oil in a jar. See, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. We may eat it and die. Elijah says to her, Do not fear. How many times do you read that in the Bible? In a, in a situation that's desperate. Do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said. Make me a small cake from it first. Bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. That seems outrageous until becomes the immediate explanation. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up 
nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. That is a glorious explanation. If you thought the ravens were a miracle, you were right. And now you find the flour and the oil, all she's got left in her larder, will never run out, will never run dry, until the day that the Lord says he will send rain on the earth. And notice, this is a daily provision once again. God doesn't send a three month supply of bread, of, of uh, flour and oil. It's only as she uses up and it runs dry. The next time she goes to a larder, lo and behold, it's topped up to the top. Every single day. Every day she uses it. Every day she cooks. There's the level of flour, the same. The level of oil, the same. And that way God supplies Elijah, the widow, and her son with their daily need. In Baal's heartland. Where is Baal? Nowhere to be seen. Where is God? Multiplying the flour and the oil to supply the needs of a widow and a son as a means of supplying and protecting and providing for Elijah, his servant, who is going to stand and judge Baal. See how God, in his providence, is a good man's father? How he provides for this man who is his servant? How he is protected from the search parties who have warrant to arrest him and perhaps even to put him to death? He always has food, whether it's by Cherith, by the ravens, or by the widow in Zarephath of all places. God keeps body and soul together. God gives this man the life that he needs if he is to carry out his function as the Lord's servant. As you read through this passage, don't you sort of step back and laugh at the folly of trusting in Baal? How stupid. How can he compete with such a God as this? Who can work even in the heartland of Baal territory and can provide using the Raymonds, using the most unlikely human being in Zarephath, a widow who has nothing but God is able to supply everything. These few verses then are about the Lord of heaven and earth, the sovereign who acts as a good man's father, who sustains and protects his servant. We're left admiring God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's power, God's care, his unusual way of working with his created beings all the time proclaiming the uselessness of Baal. But I want to go into more detail. Why does God act in this way? What are the reasons? We've seen how God's word directs Elijah to Cherith and to Sidon. We've seen God's commands that ensure the provision for Elijah and the miraculous power is displayed. Why did God act in this way? What were the reasons? 
And here I want to draw out some of the ways in which God works in the lives of his people, in the lives of his saints, of his church, of his ancient people Israel. And how he works then in our lives and in our hearts. What is he doing? What is he about? I want to give you three reasons this evening. First of all, I want to elucidate this a little bit further. It is to protect Elijah from danger. Elijah was in danger. Make no mistake about that. He is God's chosen servant. And he brings the word of covenant curse upon Ahab and the nation and Baal in verse 1 of chapter 17. And we've noted in verse 3, he receives a command by the Lord to get away, to go east and hide by the brook Cherith that flows into the Jordan. We've already pointed out, and I'll not repeat, what was happening in Samaria to the prophets. What actions Jezebel and Ahab had taken. But God protected, God sustained Elijah. Now, that raises a problem, a small problem, because if you read on in chapter 18, of course, we read there in verse 4 of Jezebel massacring the prophets of the Lord. And that Obadiah had taken 150 and hidden them in a cave, or 50 of them in a cave and fed them with bread and water. But Jezebel had massacred some. How is it? How can we say that God is taking care of his servants if Elijah lives and these other prophets are massacred? Did God not care about them? Did God overlook them? Did he forget them? Well, such things are unthinkable. Sometimes God allows such wicked things to happen in order to show the wickedness of men and in order to show his power. Why is it, for example, that the Apostle James is killed? You remember Herod in Acts 12? But Peter survives and escapes miraculously from prison. Why did that happen? Why is Peter preserved and why is James killed? Herod was no less malicious than, than Jezebel. Let me say in answer to that, these prophets who perished at the hand of Jezebel were no less loved of God because they died massacred at his hand, at her hand. It was and always is. Our life is the subject of God's sovereign prerogative and will. He will do what he chooses with each and every one of us. And if James is taken and Peter is preserved, it is not for us to turn around and say, why did you do that, Lord? Weren't you wrong to take away James's life and preserve Peter? That does not seem fair. No, God is sovereign. Elijah, you see, though, on the other hand, is the prophet who has been raised up specifically, particularly by God, as God's mouthpiece. 
When Elijah stood and said, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be not dew nor rain these years except at my word, what would have happened to the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah? What would have happened to his reputation? More than that, what would have happened to God's reputation had he perished? It was absolutely necessary, therefore, that Elijah's life be protected from danger and that all his physical needs should be met. And God, therefore, ensured that his servant was kept alive, kept safe for three years until the event took place that brought him back before Ahab again, and that great confrontation then on Mount Carmel that we will come to, and the rain that eventually then fell upon the land of Israel. He is, then, Elijah is a special case. He is a special servant who receives particular preserving care by these remarkable miracles with relation to the ravens, with regard to the widows, flour and oil. And we must recognise that. It is absolutely essential that Elijah lives. Otherwise, God's cause falls to the ground. And people will say, well, he's spoken, his word could not be fulfilled. What about you? What about me? It's very unlikely you're going to be ministered to and your life is going to be provided for by ravens and widows with half-empty jars of flour and oil that keep get topping up. God isn't going to provide for us in that kind of way. These are particular miracles. That's not to say he can't, but it's extremely unlikely. We are called to serve God. We are called to worship God. The fact is, as George Whitfield once famously remarked, we are immortal until our work on earth here is done. God will preserve us until we have accomplish the purpose for which God has equipped us. And we can carry on living confidently in God's ability to protect us. We can go on and taking the words of our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. What are those other things? Food, Drink, clothing, all those things that you have need of to keep body and soul together. One day, either by an accident or by a sickness of one kind or another or by martyrdom, the Lord will remove us from our sphere of labour. But until that day, we are immortal. No one can harm us and take our life away from us. But God will supply all our needs. We believe in divine providence. His providence isn't limited to a few birds and one single widow. His providence is over all the earth. What it means is that you and I get on with our daily work, trusting in God that he will provide for us and protect us from danger. That's the first reason. To protect Elijah from danger. Second reason is this, I would suggest. Is to strengthen Elijah's faith in God. 
Elijah is a man like us. When he made that dramatic announcement in chapter 17 and verse 1, that would have placed tremendous pressure upon Elijah's faith. It made demands of his faith. I would imagine, because he was a mere man, although he had a firm faith in God, he had days and moments in those days when he had fears and doubts about, first of all, whether God's word was true, and whether this is in fact what would happen, and secondly, whether God would be able to actually provide for him. He was alone. When you are on your own, when you are isolated, and you have no one else to comfort you, to encourage you, to instruct you, to remind you, you are even in a more dangerous position, aren't you? Elijah was alone. And very soon he was going to stand alone up against 450 false prophets of Baal. Is it not unreasonable to say that he had some doubts and fears? He's only a man. He had feelings, he had thoughts. The tensions would be rising in his own mind and in his own heart. But God is preparing him. God is strengthening this man's faith for a demanding day on Mount Carmel that is going to demand a tremendous amount of energy and emotion and faith and trust and confidence in God. How is Elijah's faith then strengthened? Personally, and on a daily basis, he sees the power of God over the supposed power of Baal. Not only does God withhold the rain as he says he will do in Israel and in Sidon, but this same God daily and personally to, to Elijah provides bread for him and meat for him by curbing the natural instincts of these ravens and providing flour and oil in the face of death in the house of a widow. It is important that we stress this is every single day. God's word, he sees it, he experiences it being fulfilled. Every day those ravens come, morning and night. Elijah can say to himself, they come here at the direct commandment of God. Every day he eats his meal, that little cake, in the widow's house. He can remind himself that she is there at God's command. And the flour and the oil does not run out because of God's supply. Every single day. And that's the important thing. You see, every single day, our faith needs to be strengthened. Because what happens? Events and circumstances come our way that dislodge us, that unhinge us, that turn us away and make us think that God has forgotten us, that God's power somehow has failed. But you see, every single day, Elijah, he is supplied. 
Every day he lives by God's promises. Every day he lives by God's commands. Every day he lives by the means that God has provided for him. The living God preserves his life. And Elijah is learning to depend upon his God. If God does not supply his needs in these days, he will die. And that will be the end of his ministry. But instead of dying and just clinging on to life, here is a man who is growing, I would suggest, in faith in God. Brothers and sisters, you and I are called to live by faith. God is our daily joy and strength. Daily we are to rely upon him. Daily we are to feed our souls from his word. Daily we are to live by the grace that flows to us abundantly through his Son, Jesus Christ. He feeds us. He preserves our life. He sustains us physically and spiritually day by day. And he by these means is making us into the men and women who will serve him faithfully. Don't be so spiritually minded you forget that you need food. You need bread and meat and water to live, to keep body and soul together. That's equally God's concern. As much as his concern to bless us and that we feed upon the blessings that we have received through the grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ our Saviour and our Lord. This is the way that strength then is that faith is strengthened. It is the daily experience of God's kind provision for us. The daily experience. Are you conscious of that? Or do you go a whole week without thinking about it? See, unless you are conscious of God, other things are going to fill your mind. And fill your heart and you not think about God. And if you do not think about God and God's word and God's promises and God's commands and God's grace and God's mercy, you're not going to grow in, you're not going to grow in faith. And God did not leave these things to chance. He didn't send the ravens once a week. He didn't top up the widow's oil and her flour once a month. Every single day. And in the case of the ravens, twice a day. Morning and evening. You know how a day can go by. You have a good morning, but then something happens at midday. You feel blown. By the end of the day, you're just glad to get to bed and go to sleep, if you possibly can. Morning and evening. Morning and evening, God supplied Elijah's need and strengthened this man's faith in God. But there is a third reason not only to protect Elijah from danger, not only to strengthen Elijah's faith in God, but thirdly, it is to show the finality of God's word. This is why God was working out in these particular ways. Elijah had spoken a finality, with finality. There will be neither dew nor rain these years except at my word. And the word of the Lord is not spoken to Ahab and to Israel again until the third year of Ahab's reign. 
that means there was at least two years at least two years we're not sure when in the third year of Ahab's reign this took place but at least two years when there was no rain or no dew so that we read in chapter 18 and verse 3 there was a severe famine in Samaria and we read in verse 5 that Ahab is in desperate measures as he sends men to find grass for his horses and his mules his military strength is being undermined here because he cannot find pasture for his horses and for his mules and it is only in verse 18 of chapter 18 that Elijah actually appears again with the word of the Lord I have not troubled Israel says Elijah in reply to Ahab's accusation but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals now therefore send and gather all Israel to come on Mount Carmel for four, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. God is displaying the authority, the power, the finality of his word. It is that word that is crucial. It is that word that determines everything that is going to take place. It is that word that brings a drought in Samaria. It is that word that brings a drought in Sidon. It is that word that dries up Cherith. It is that word that brings death and the danger of death to the widow in Sidon. But it is God who is exercising his power and his authority. You see, God hides his servant by the brook Cherith. And that is not only to protect him from Ahab and from Jezebel. It is also a way in which God is withdrawing his word for the time being from Israel itself. God has spoken. No rain, no dew. Baal now has an opportunity to show his hand. But of course there's nothing going to happen. But in hiding his servant, God is hiding his word. There is no blessing. Instead the curse of the covenant is seen to have its death impact upon the nations. And there is no further revelation until Elijah appears before Ahab when God intends to send rain. So can you see that God is sovereign? God is the sovereign Lord who is working out his purposes. And you see the finality, you see the determining effect of the word of God. No other word like this in history. Because there is no other God like this ever to be found anywhere. All the gods of this world are a figment of human imagination. They do not exist except in the minds of those who are their devotees. But they are no gods at all. They have mouths but they don't speak. You remember the sarcasm in the psalm. The uselessness of idols and those who trust in them are like them. Blessing will not come on the land of Israel from the hand of Baal, from the rain gods and the fertility gods, even when it's manipulated by the priests of Baal. 
This is wickedness. This is ungodliness. And God's indignation is stirred up. Thus the curse comes upon this nation. But God is not like Baal. And he is preparing the way to display his glory, his majesty, his power, and the truth of his word, and the truth of his great and glorious being, whom they deny. Because they've given themselves over to Baal. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he is going to see that men recognize him as the Lord of heaven and earth. And they turn to him and worship him and acknowledge him. You remember what happened to Dagon in the days when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in the temple of Dagon? Remember? The next day, when they went into the temple of Dagon, who was flat on his face, with his arms and legs broken? Dagon. God is not going to stand by and see others steal the glory that belongs to him? We look around this world, And the common consensus is that all the religions of this world are right. They all have a place. They all have a say. Jesus Christ is just one of many in the pantheon of gods. Do you think that is pleasing to God? Does that bring honour and glory to Christ? God's glory and the glory of his name and the glory of his being. That is what Elijah is standing for. It's the cause of God. It's the cause of truth. It's the finality of God's great word. And this is the great end to which all history is moving. That is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And his kingdom cannot come. And his will cannot be done. While there are false gods. While Baal is king. There is no room in men's minds and hearts for the God of heaven. And Elijah is about to display who is the one true and living God. And the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ has no greater end than this. Christ reigns in heaven and Christ shall reign until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. He will subdue all his enemies. Everything will be subject to him. The Son will subject himself then to one who has put all things under him that God may be all in all. That's the end for which Christ laboured. That's the end for which Elijah laboured. That God may be all in all. We read in Philippians 2 and verse 11 that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what end? To the glory of God the Father. Is that the end for which you labour? Do you have a holy jealousy in your heart for the honour and the glory of God? His name, His word and His very being. 
it is hard to stand in this world look at Elijah I said earlier he stood against alone against 450 prophets of Baal I had forgotten the 400 prophets of Asherah that are mentioned there in chapter 18 and verse 19 but someone has said that one man plus God is a majority you can think about that the God who is sovereign the God who rules the heavens and the earth and yet he is the good man's father that's your God he protects you he provides for you he gives you life and breath and everything else to what end that you may serve him that you may stand for him that you may pray the Lord's prayer that you may bear witness and not be afraid in this world or may God equip us in this day and age that we may be given something of the spirit and the jealousy and the faith of Elijah as we trust in the God of Elijah Amen, Amen. O Lord our God and our Father in heaven we do pray that your kingdom may come that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven we look around us and see so many foes so many false claims O Lord arise and beat down your enemies arise O Lord and proclaim the truth of salvation as it is in Jesus Christ and grant O oh God that we may serve you faithfully in our generation whatever the cost may be grant us O oh God and your church throughout the world the grace to be bold the grace to believe what Elijah believed and to serve as Elijah served in his generation Lord, we are confident that you will provide for us. We are confident that you will protect us. We know that you are our Father and that your love and care sustains us. Lord, therefore, we return our praise and our thanks to you. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.